0: Well, good day, everybody. Welcome. Pastor Tim Karskadden here, Christian Center Report Daily Podcast. We're doing our daily word, but today we're bringing a warning about the coming bloodshed and the bloodshed that's happening. How has man been so destructive throughout its history? And what can we learn from it to make sure that we're not part of the future? Se zahal, že To you. Thank you for joining us today on this very important topic that we're covering right now. It is the 14th day of November 2023 here from Louisiana. So glad you join us. Welcome from those in the nations. We always love you guys for being a part of this and we pray these words help you navigate. I know this is an exciting uplifting word, but it's a warning and I think warnings are just as important as the prophecies and the words for the future, I believe this will affect the future. If we fight the good fight today, we will have a hope and a future. That's the plans of the Lord, according to Jeremiah 29. Is The Lord doesn't want us to go through calamity and hardship just to go through it. He will allow it for a pr- redemptive purpose, and we talked about that yesterday. But ultimately, he wants us to be wise. Today, I want to throw out some facts um, that probably will shock you if you listen to them of the depravity of man throughout history. And the question we're talking about is if the second Holocaust is coming, how do people capitulate and actually surrender to that rather than fight back? As I've shared it before, when you study the uh, concentration camps and the uprisings in Germany and Poland and other places by the Jewish people, during the war, almost every time Sobrador was a camp that uh, was a, a type of that, they almost were always victorious. They got free. And there's something in us that has to rise up to be free. and We have to free a people. We have to pray for the, the deliverance of a people in this hour. We want to be Esthers in this hour. We want to be those that go before the king and risk our lives to save others. Uh, today in America, in Washington DC, Jews and Christians alike are gathering in DC to to just show their solidarity, to stand for righteousness and stand for what's right and also for the hostages that are being held in Gaza right now. So we asked the question, how can you just be like sheep to the slaughter? And let's talk a little bit about history where this has happened before. And uh, you know, with eleven million people in in Germany and Poland and other places. How can that be? How can that many people who outnumber the Germans, even if they do have guns, how do, they, how do they do that? Many times when they would get in these cattle cars, they would not even have guards with guns. You know, they, were, they were told this thing that they were going to be okay, etc. You know, today the, the, the thought is, okay, never again. We're going to rise up. We're going to get weapons. We're going to fight. But this is a new world. With technology, the way it is, the guys who own the technology can take out thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people without even putting a human in line with, with drone technology, space technology, all sorts of technology. Well, your little rifle, your little pistol is not going to stop a drone that comes in, and explodes right in the middle of a place or has, has weapons on it that can drop something on you and kill thousands at one time. It's a different world we're living in. So we have to stay close to Jesus, spend our time with the Lord, and say, God, show us any plans of the enemy. So let me give you some facts here, since this is, this is actually interesting. You know, even though we call it 11 million, there was actually 11,283,000. We don't want to slight the numbers, because that was the reality. That, these are the numbers that the, the Nazis recorded. They, they took counts. They were meticulous with their numbers in that way. So that was between the years of 33, 1933 and 1944. Um, you know that's, that's the institutional killing that we know they did through the, you know, through the concentration camps. That doesn't include the 5.2 million Germans, civilians, and military that were killed. Nor does it include the 28.7 million Europeans killed during World War II as a result of the Nazis, of Hitler's aggressive plans. Let's put it in, in context here. <clears throat> I was reading this in a book. If you look at Cambodia during the time of the Vietnam War that time, they put to death by, the, by their own government slightly more than 3 million people between 75 and 79, 1975. Now, 3 million, you've got to understand, they only had 8 million citizens. That's a lot. So we could actually have used an exact figure of 61 million, almost 62 million people. That's the number of people that were murdered by the government of the Soviet Union, shown by their own records, 62 million, between 1917 and 1987. And of that, about 55 million of them, of the men and women and children put to death by Communist Party, were officially Soviet citizens. And I want you to understand how deep that is. You know, during World War One, um, the Turks, their government decided to exterminate every Armenian in the in the country. W- doesn't matter whether they were soldiers or, or whatever, government pregnant women didn't matter, and they killed their own famous their own famous scholars, their religious leaders. They they destroyed them all. We call it the Armenian genocide. And move forward, North Korea, uh, in the North Korean War, uh, three million. Uh, more than a million each in Mexico and Pakistan, the Baltic states. On and on it goes, all around the world. And so I want to focus on this, the tragedy of humanity. And why don't people fight back? How can you get, especially in the, in the concentration camps, 11 million people to, to submit, to capitulate? Again, I said it yesterday, we've seen the foundation for it during COVID people will trust the government. People will trust the medical industry. They'll trust, trust, trust. Surely they wouldn't do this to us. That's what the Germans said during World War II, the, Ju- the Jewish Germans. We helped them in World War I. They, they won't do this to us. They'll honor us. It's not how it works. So we have to understand what really is going on. The, the, the government or whoever, the institution, is, is the reality. We can't deny that. And we have to say, what, what kind of mindset um would cause people uh, to not stand up and fight back. Um, you know, if 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 somebody was to come in and uh, you know, just shoot people up like you see, we see people rise up and shoot back now occasionally, but a lot of times you watch and these people just will film tragedies, will film murders like they we saw in on October seventh. So what we want to see here is that we would be a people that would be wise to the hour. And let's pray that this quote second Holocaust that we're hearing about, that the Lord's speaking to us about and warning us about, in my dream, there was a responsibility. What am I going to do about it? And my question to you, you're listening to us, is, What are you going to do about it? So the question again, how can this happen? Um how can elected leaders achieve such goals of genocide this way? I was listening, and I put it on the, our post on the pipeline page of a nurse, a nun in the Catholic hospital in Gaza, crying. She says, I can't believe I'm doing this, telling how Hamas is still in the medicine, taking the fuel, and they're having to do surgeries on children with no anesthesia because of Hamas. This is it. These are people, Hamas is who they voted for. Okay, it's not like these guys were dictators. These people, eighty over eighty percent of the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip voted for Hamas. This is how how does that happen? How do you deceive people to a place that they do that? We see it in America when our elections come around. the The Democratic Party always considered the party of the minorities and the poor because they give them. You know, welfare, free housing, whatever. And they, you know, every election, they show up and remind those people, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have anything. Now, the rest of the time, they don't care about them. They really don't care about them coming out of poverty. They just threaten them and say, the, the conservatives will take this away from you. You must vote for us. So they, it's institutional poverty. And they just keep pouring it into them. It's a lie. And there's the answer. How? Do you do this type of things? You lie to the people. And that is what I want to spend some time uh, when, we're, when we're talking about that. According to testimony provided under the oath of, by witnesses in the Nuremberg Trials, uh, this is back from 1946 by some former SS officers, the act of transporting Jews to death camps you know, was a challenge for, for them and to, to take it to the final solution of genocide. But Adolf Eichmann, known as the master, who who directed by written order in 1941, implemented the final solution, Eichmann, Eichmann, I should say, went about the task as if there was a president of a multinational corporation. He had all these goals, and he recruited a staff that would do this. He monitored the progress. He charted how they worked. And uh, what he what he. What he, what he did was he began to change policy to meet his need. His quotas were filled. He was rewarded. Uh, if you didn't meet his quotas, uh, you, were, you were punished. And so it was an intricate web of lies to be delivered in stages to ensure the cooperation of then the unknowing Jews. This is what I read. The Jews first, you know, when they at first, when they see these barbed wire fences were erected and circling their neighborhoods, Eichmann and or his representatives, whoever would meet with the Jewish leaders to assure them that the physical restrictions being placed upon them and on their community and what would later be known as the ghettos. If we if you study the history, were only temporary necessities of war. and As long as they cooperated, uh, cooperated, they told them there'd be no harm would come to those inside the fence. Okay, so you start with the first lie. Then bribes were taken from the Jews and the promise of better living conditions and the bribes convinced the Jews that the situation was indeed temporary and there'd be no further harm would befall them. After all, they reasoned, why would Nazis accept brides if their only intent was to kill us, right? I mean, they could kill them and take everything from them. So these first two stages of deception were conducted to prevent uprisings or even an escape. That was the plan. Finally, Eichmann would appear uh, for the entire ghetto, and he would accompanied by a, you know entourage of all these men and officers, not, and most of them unarmed. Okay, this is the thing. You've you got to see it for what it is. And he addressed a uh, crowd with a clear voice, and according to sworn statements, these were likely the exact words. I'm, I'm quoting from a book I'm reading. Jews at last, he said, it can be reported to you that the Russians are advancing on our eastern front. I apologize for the hasty way we brought you into our protection. Unfortunately, there is little time to explain. We have nothing to worry about. We want only the best for you. We will leave here shortly and be sent to very fine places indeed. You will work there. Your wives will stay at home. Your children will go to school. You will have wonderful lives. We will all be terribly crowded on the trains, though, but the journey is short, men. Please keep your families together and board the rail cars in an orderly manner. Quickly now, my friends, we must hurry. Those are chilling words, aren't they? And so you saw Jewish husbands and fathers were relieved by that explanation. They comforted their, their families, that, their, you know, there are hardly any armed soldiers. They helped their families in the rail cars. The containers designed to transport eight cows would be packed with a minimum of 100 human beings and quickly padlocked. At the moment they were lost, the trains were rarely stopped until well inside Auschwitz, Auschwitz or Treblinka or Sobrador or, or, or Belgic, some other one of their camps. In the ministry in 1967, there were more, according to their ministry, there was over 1,100 concentration camps and subcamps. And the Jewish library. It's estimated that Nazis established 15,000 camps in occupied countries. Now, I would imagine when they locked the doors, the the reality sat in. But come on, you have to say, Lord, why did they not have discernment? And I I don't know why, you know, ultimately, but I don't want to be one of those. I want to be one of those right now that has discernment to help to make sure this never can happen on my watch. That we won't see this thing and that we'll do everything we can to rescue bring, not only just rescue them from death, what good is that if they don't know our Messiah? That they would be rescued from death, yes, but in the midst of it, that we would demonstrate and provoke them to jealousy, that they would want our Messiah so that if they were to face death, they would not face eternal death, but life abundantly in Christ. I know this is kind of a a dark word today, but it's, it's really a light word if we do the right thing. Let's stand together. Let's pray for the salvation and awakening a of a people, the Jewish people God, and Gentiles alike, that their souls will be saved in the coming days ahead. All right. Blaming See you tomorrow. You. Well, thanks again for listening each and every day here on our daily podcast. We love you, each and every one of you. Thanks you. Thank you for sewing into us. You can always do that on our app, Christian Center Report, or our website. We are blessed, and we want to bless you in the midst of it. We have so much going on right now. Stay tuned to all our platforms as we declare what God is saying in this hour. May God bless you and have a great day. Come back and join us tomorrow. Bye-bye.